We want to get right into the word of the Lord. It's good to see everybody out here today. We do want to be praying for the foster family. We was going to do that earlier, and I uh, just didn't have the opportunity. But uh, uh, Brother Kenny Foster and Lisa, Lisa lost her father last night in death, and then this morning Lisa died. And so Brother Kenny has lost his wife and father-in-law both in the same day, and Ashley has lost her uh, grandpa and mother, the same within a 24-hour period. So we want to be remembering the foster family throughout the day and throughout the week in prayer. But, you know, this is the season that we celebrate Jesus' first coming to the earth. Matter of fact, just in a few short days, we're going to be celebrating Christmas where Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in a manger, being Savior of the world. And this coming April, we'll also be celebrating what we call Easter. We'll be celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today, I do not want to reflect back in time, but I want us to look forward in the near future and see what is beholding for us as believers. With Everything that is going on in the world, if you turn on the news, you're going to see that things is accelerating very fast. You're going to see that the very end time is upon us. You're beginning to see China, and you're beginning to see Russia rise up, and you're beginning to see the nations beginning to be formed in what we call the last days of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look with the eyes of faith and begin to celebrate not only Christmas, not only Easter, but to celebrate our future and celebrate what we call the second return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to this earth. The second coming in scripture is the believer's hope. It's our anchor according to scripture. Titus 3 and 5 says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's what we look forward to. It's what we expect. It's what you and I are actually living for. Matter of fact, so many of us view the book of Psalms that we just read as a book of wonderful songs and prayers and events that took place in the early lives of the people of God namely David and Solomon because that's who wrote most of the Psalms. But the book of Psalms is much more than that. Matter of fact, the book of Psalms has a lot of prophecy throughout it. One minute you'll be reading and you'll be going along there and all of a sudden it'll go right into a prophetic utterance. You will find all kinds of things prophesied in the book of Psalms that has already come to pass. Jesus' time of his birth was prophesied there. It was prophesied that he would be beaten on his back. It was prophesied that his hands would be it was prophesied that he would be born in a manger. There's all kinds of things throughout the book of Psalms where you see prophecies already being fulfilled. Our text is called the Psalm of Solomon. And in scripture, David's reign as king was symbolic of the dispensation of grace, the church age. And those of you that may not understand that biblical terminology, when we talk about the dispensation of grace or the church age, we're talking about from the time of the Jesus came and the manger to the time that he comes again. That's what we call the dispensation of the church or the dispensation of grace. As a matter of fact, David is the only king that could go into the holy place and take of the showbread and still yet live because the scripture over and over tells us and shows us in the Old Testament that no one could go in there and take the showbread unless they were a priest. David was not a priest and only the priest could go in there and if he was not a priest and you dare to enter into that tabernacle, 
you would be killed. But yet David went in and God did not kill him. Any, uh, anybody else that would try that would be destroyed. His reign represented the dispensation of grace to where all of us as God's children can come before his throne and obtain mercy and help in our time of need. Aren't you glad today that you do not have to go to some kind of a priest or some kind of a pastor and line up and have him petition your prayers for you but you as an individual as a believer can come boldly to the throne of grace and kneel down and obtain mercy because you are been born again and saved into the kingdom of God we can go right into the presence of God because our high priest Jesus Christ has opened up the avenues of approach to the throne of God by his own blood that's why the book of Ephesians tells us you who sometimes were afore off you're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ we were alienated from God we were the enemies of God but Jesus came and shed his blood and whosoever will they can come and be saved and his blood cleanses us from all sin and we can come before his throne because you and I have become priests when we become born again how many know that it was Peter that said in 1 Peter 2 and 9 that you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light Psalm 72 of our text is actually David praying for Solomon. He's praying for his son Solomon's reign. He's down. He don't want him to make the same mistakes that he made. And Solomon's burden that now all of a sudden the mantle of kingship would be put upon the shoulders of his own son. And he begins to pray for Solomon. And, and his reign in scripture, all through scripture is symbolic of the millennial reign of Christ. Matter of fact, when you begin to read David and you begin to see David's what he lived, it was an example of grace. But when you read Solomon, everything that Solomon had, it represented the, 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 the millennial kingdom of Christ. And some people say, well, what is the millennial kingdom of Christ? It's where Jesus Christ comes back on his second return and he comes and he dwells as king of kings and lord of lords and he lives for a thousand years upon the earth to establish peace. Can you say amen? How many's looking forward to that great event? Raise your hand and give the Lord praise for that. Amen. But as David begins to pray for Solomon, something begins to happen. All of a sudden, David is used with divine utterance. Oh, hallelujah. As David prayed, he began to pray under divine unction and influence of the Holy Spirit. And prophetic speech began to come out of David's mouth. Even though this psalm has been noted as being a song of Solomon, yet I want you to know a greater one than Solomon is seen in the pages of our text. The reign of Solomon, which was King David's son, no doubt was one that could be compared with pre peace and righteousness from the very beginning of his reign. A matter of fact, at the beginning of his reign there has never been any prosperity seen like it before. A matter of fact, in any reign of any king even up to this day, nothing has been seen like the reign of Solomon. He was the most powerful, richest, influential man upon the face of the earth. He was a great man and while he reigned, peace was rampant. Prosperity was unbelievable. And you'll see as you look into Solomon Solomon's reign that it was a magnificent time to live upon the earth. But 
people shall not fear him as long as the sun and the moon endure, according to verse 5. Neither did all kings fall down before him, as verse 11 says, nor did all nations serve him. Many did, but not all. Neither shall all the earth be filled with his glory, as verse 19 describes, nor will his name endure forever, as verse 27 describes. As the psalm reveals the characteristics of the reign of Solomon, its main focus was upon the reign of another king. Matter of fact, the reign of Solomon was a symbol and a type and a shadow of the reign of Jesus Christ. There has never been in history a reign reign of a king like that of Solomon before, but yet there's coming a day. There's going to come a day that there's going to be one that reigns that no reign, not even Solomon's reign, can compare to. Jesus came as Savior and Redeemer and sacrificed the first time, but I want to tell you when he comes back the second time, he's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as a reigning king. He's going to sit up on the throne and he's going to be declared as the king of kings and the Lord of lords and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen? Give him praise in this hour. They rejected him the first time, but they'll not reject him the second time. They did not admire him the first time, but they'll admire him the second time. I want you to know when he comes down this time, he's coming down in all of his splendor and all of his glory. He is king. He is mighty savior. His name is Jesus Christ. I'll stand to your feet and give him applause for who he is today. Hallelujah. Well, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. Jesus, can you say his name with us? Jesus. There's no other name like the name of Jesus Christ. He is Jesus, the son of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. They seen him as a child, a carpenter, a servant, and some even called him a prophet. They elevated him to a prophet finally. They called him the son of man. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming back as that reigning king. Daniel said in prophecy in Daniel 7, starting with verse 13 and 14. Oh, I wish I had two hours to preach this morning. He said, I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he brought near before him. And there was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Sound like our text? His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. The first thing that we see in Daniel's prophecy is that he's coming in the clouds. Look at verse 13. He said, I saw in the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven. The second coming of Christ is in two parts. We have to understand that. But yet it's one event. Just like all ball games, they have nine innings. Or baseball games have nine innings. Until that ninth inning is played out, the game's not over. It's one event. But let me tell you, even so, the second coming of Christ, it's in two parts, but it's one event. Can I have an amen? In Matthew 24 and 30, Jesus tells us about the second part of his second coming. He says, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I'm here to tell you that he is coming as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger through a virgin damsel this time. But he's coming in the clouds of heaven. Oh, hallelujah. This is why the psalmist said in Psalms 104, verse 1 and verse 3, bless the Lord, O my soul, Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed 
with honor and you clothe with majesty. Who layeth the beams of the chambers in the waters. Now listen to this. Who maketh the clouds his chariot. Who, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. The Bible literally says that his clouds, the clouds up that we see are his chariots. And that the wind is his walk space. The psalm said that the clouds were his chariots that he comes riding on. And even though he comes in the clouds both at the rapture of the church and at his appearing in the millennial reign after the great tribulation where he rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years, yet there are some differences between the appearing at these two events. At the rapture of the church we see that he isn't going to touch the earth, but he's just going to come and he's going to hover in the sky. That's what the scripture tells us. Paul, the apostle Paul made that clear when he wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting with verse 13. He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even them which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we declare unto you by the word of the Lord, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Is that not a comfort to know that one of these days my Messiah, my true Savior, though we're battle torn and we're weary and we're tired, yet those that will endure the same shall be saved. And can I tell you he's coming to get his church. He's coming to get us in the clouds of glory and we're going to be caught up to where he's at. Can you say amen? Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many believes that he's coming again? Can you say amen? We see at the rapture of the church, the saints are lifted up where he's at in the clouds that he come riding on. The graves of the believer are gonna bust open. Those of us that are alive and remain are gonna be caught up together with the, those believers that come out of the ground, those that's died before us, and we're gonna be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Can you imagine that event? The trump's gonna sound. The voice of the archangel is gonna be heard. There's gonna be a shout from heaven, and all of a sudden, them graves are gonna bust open, and every grave that where there's a that hope a believer, that believer's coming out of that grave. And we're going to, those of us, if we're still alive, we're going to be caught up together with them. They're not going up without us. And we're all going up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At this great event, people are going to be caught off guard. And it's only for those that are looking and watching for him that he shall appear to. Notice this in Hebrews 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ once offered himself up to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's only going to appear to them that are looking for him. That's why that Matthew 25 and 13 says watch therefore for you neither know the day nor the hour when the son of man cometh. I like what he says in Mark 13 verse 37 what I say unto you I say unto all of you watch. That word watch doesn't mean just be looking for him with natural eyes but it means to be ready to watch to, to the point of preserving yourself. Colossians 3 and 4 says when Christ our Savior shall appear then shall we also appear with him in glory. Did you hear that? That's talking about the first part of the second coming. Let me read it again. When Christ our life shall appear then shall we also appear with him in heaven. In the first part of his second coming he doesn't come to dwell on earth with men but he takes his chosen, his elite, his saints and they shall be called up together in the clouds and be gone off into glory with Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. I like that because they go into what they call the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've been to a lot of wedding banquets, but I'll never be one like that wedding banquet's going to be. I want to tell you it's going to be a feast of all feasts. Hallelujah. You think it was excited when the father killed the fatted calf for the prodigal son? Wait till all of the saints of heaven get there and see what he's got prepared for him. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that God's got prepared for them that love him. And those of us that are saints are going to sit around and we're going to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. The bride and the bridegroom are going to connect for the first time and there's going to be a celebration. Oh, what a celebration that will be. Oh, when me and Jenny got married, my heart wandered with love. And oh, my heart flat, my, my heart fluttered. But let me tell you, the one I love above all, when I see him, I'll have not the words to describe how I'll feel. I'll see my Savior who saved me from my sin and redeemed me from hell, who pulled me out of the miry clay and put my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Oh, hallelujah. Are you going to be excited that day? Are you going to be excited that day, church? Oh, hallelujah. Immediately after the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ will take place. That's where you'll be judged according to your works. You'll already be judged to be holy. You've already been judged at Calvary and been fitted to go into the Lamb's Supper. It's not talking about being judged of sin, judged of your works. You'll be judged according to your attitude. You'll be judged according to the way you've done things. And there'll be some things that'll burn up. It'll be called wood, hay, and stubble. But there'll be other things that you've done with a pure heart, whether it be as gold, as gold and as precious silver and stone. And can I tell you, that's where you'll get your rewards. And while this is going on, that'll happen. The marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ will carry on for seven solid years. Can you imagine a celebration? How many of you like to be in a celebration for seven long years? He's got rewards for you that are enduring, folks. You cannot, Paul said, I count all things but dung because I know that the glory of God will soon be revealed in my life. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to be a wondrous event for seven years. We'll be at a marriage supper of the Lamb and the reward seat of Christ while tribulation is taking place down here on earth. Oh, there'll be some that say, oh, tribulation ain't, ain't, ain't until the middle of tribulation or after tribulation. Oh, no, no, no. I beg to differ and I'll prove that before this is over. But it was John that said in 1 John 3 and 2, he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. In other words, we know that he's coming, and when he comes, we don't know exactly all about him, but we, when that day happens, we know who he is because we'll be like him, made like him. John says, Now are we the sons of God. If you're not ready up the rapture, there's no time of getting ready. To be a candidate for the resurrection, you have to already be classified as a child of God. You have to be justified in his sight. You have already already had to repent and be born again. Now are you the sons of God, he says. There will be a bodily trans transformation. We're going to come up out of the grave and we're going to literally receive a glorified body. We are going to be made like him according to the Holy Scriptures. That's why the Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 50. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not 
not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortality shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought the past to saying that is written in Scripture, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain. Can I have an amen? There is a reward for what we're going through. There's been many a tears in this congregation in the last six months. We've been fought. We've been buffeted. We've been hindered. We've been, we've been assaulted by the enemy, but I've got good news. We are victors in Jesus Christ. We're not victims. We don't have to play a victim party. We don't have to sit around and sob and weep as if we have no hope. We have a blessed hope, a glorious appearing of our Savior to get us. Oh, I just feel like we need to praise him. I want you to praise Jesus Christ this morning. I want you to magnify him this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you in this house. When the rapture takes place, the saints will be raised out of the grave in a glorified body. They'll be caught away with the Lord in the air. And these events are going to happen quickly. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians there, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, boom, it's going to happen. Matthew 24, 47, Jesus said it himself. As the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is why that Matthew 13, 36 says, lest he come suddenly, he finds you sleeping. Look what Paul referred to, to the first part of the second coming, which is known as the rapture. Some people say, oh, the rapture ain't even biblical because it don't even mention the word rapture in the Bible. We know that it don't but it's the best word in the English language that we can describe the catching away because the rapture means a catching away. It's a Greek word rapio which means the great catching away. That's our English word to say ra rapture. We know it's not there but that's the best word that we have come up with. But Paul said for ourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. He's coming suddenly, quickly and when he does it's like a thief in the night and he's gone and you didn't even know that he came. The only ones that's going to see Christ at the first part of the second coming at the rapture is going to be the saints that kept themselves ready. Only those that are without spot and blemish will be the ones seeing Jesus come at the clouds at the rapture of the church. They will see him in the air because he never puts his foot upon planet earth in the first part of the second coming. However, at the millennial, Jesus is going to come and this time he's going to not only he's not going to hover in the sky, but he's going to touch planet earth and when he does, watch out. Things are fixing to pick up. Things are fixing to change. Zechariah 14 and 4, here's what Zechariah prophesied. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Did you hear that? On the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountains shall be removed to the north, half of the mountains shall be removed to the south. Unlike the rapture of the church where Jesus calls his people up into the clouds where he's at, but when Jesus comes back at the second point, 
part of the second coming after tribulation. He will put his foot upon the Mount of Olives and it will cause a great big earthquake to take place. Half will split to the north, half will split to the south, and it will form a great big valley that runs east and west. And then, you know what will happen? Then that earthquake will bust open the gate that is literally sealed in the wall around the city of Jerusalem on the east side. It's called the Eastern Gate or some call it the Messiah's Gate. They literally blocked it up because there's a prophecy saying that he's going to ride the Messiah. He's going to ride through that gate. And them Jews has went and sealed that gate to prove that them scriptures wrong. But I want you to know on that day that he puts his foot down on the Mount of Olives, that mountain's going to split. And when it does, that earthquake's going to run. It's going to bust open that eastern gate. And before you know it, right through the, that eastern gate, the Messiah's gate, comes riding the Messiah according to the scripture. It will be fulfilled. Can I have an amen? Oh, won't that be a glorious day? Amen. Unlike the rapture of the church, where only those that are looking for him will see him, at the millennial reign, everybody will see him. Are you listening to me? This is what Jesus was referring to when he said in Matthew 24 and 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. That don't happen at the rapture. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven in great glory. The Bible says all the tribes of the earth shall see him come in the clouds with great glory. Zechariah seen, seen this day coming and he prophesied of it. In Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for, me, for him. Jesus said through the prophet Zechariah they seen me. They're going to all see me who they pierced. And they're going to mourn because of me when I come back. Prior to the coming of Christ at the millennial at the end of the tribulation period the sun will stop shining. The moon will give no light. The moon will turn to blood. The stars from heaven will fall from the sky according to Matthew or according to Revelation 6, 12 through 14. Don't have time to read it. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist rides in at a time of false peace that he has literally programmed. He comes in riding a white horse representing peace, but there's a problem with him. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a manipulator, and he's a false pretender. You know what he has in his hand? He has a, a bow in his hand, which is an instrument of war. He comes in riding with peace but he has a war instrument in his hand and before tribulation is over he changes and begins to reveal his true colors. He trades his white horse for a red horse which means war and he makes war and havoc upon the earth. He then is riding a black horse which represents famine and the, the Bible tells us the worst famine that the earth will ever experience will happen during the reign of the Antichrist and let me tell you there's been some bad famines recorded in scripture. Go back to the Old Testament to the time that there was a famine in the book of Samaria where literally the people bulled their children and ate them. Where one fourth of a drop of dove's manure, dove's dung, some would call it dove's poop, was literally sold for a shekel of gold so that they could cut it in force and take a little bitty speck of manure and eat it and they had to pay a shekel of gold for that. That's how bad that the famine of Samaria was but in the book in the tribulation period there won't be a famine like it and there'll never be another famine like it in, in history. The famine and tribulation is going to exceed all previous famines. The last horse that he rides in on is going to be a pale horse, which represents death and hell. Don't have time to preach all on the Antichrist. But during the tribulation period, due to war, famine, plagues, judgments, disease, and wrath, one-third of all of the world's population shall be destroyed. As a matter of fact, some scholars say it's going to be closer to two-thirds of all of the earth.
Earth's population will be destroyed. That's how many people are going to die when the Antichrist comes riding in at a time of false peace. But that is the deception because we know he's a liar. He's a false pretender. He's out to deceive the nations. After the tribulation period, when Jesus comes riding in to set up the millennial reign for a thousand years of peace, he comes in in the midst of war. During the reign of the Antichrist, he starts out in peace, ends up with war. But during the reign of Jesus at the millennial, he comes riding in in a time of war, but he ends up in a time of a thousand years of peace. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you the line during the millennial reign? The lion will lay down with the lamb. The dog will lay down with the cat. The wolf will lay down with the rabbit. The hawk will lay down with the mouse. The snake will lie down with the rodent. And praise God, the wife will lay down with the husband, and the husband will lay down with the wife. Maybe somebody can get along in the millennial kingdom. Amen? Oh, praise God. This is a wonderful event that's going to take place. When Christ appears at the millennial, it will cause all the tribes of the earth to mourn, according to Revelation 6. Their reaction will be that of fear. They'll be, the Bible says, they'll be wringing their hands and beating their breast. Their hearts will be overwhelmed with grief and of fear and despair because they will see him whom they pierced. They will act this way because of the judgment that they are faced with. The son of man that is despised and re rejected and ridiculed now comes on the earth to rules as the sovereign king. And let me tell you, he'll have all the honor and the respect on that day. At the rapture of the church, he comes to get his church. The saints are raised to where he's at. But at the millennial, guess what happens? The church comes back with him. Hallelujah. Are you understanding that? Everybody's talking about the doom of the earth and how it can't last no longer. It's going to last another thousand years. I guarantee it. Can I have an amen? Here we are. We're caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord. We go through seven years of wonderful celebration. And then all of a sudden after the tribulation, here comes Jesus coming out of heaven. And he's, guess who's behind him? It's me and it's you riding on white horses as the saints of the living God coming back to rule and to reign with him for a thousand years. Oh, what a wonderful morning. It's going to be a great day. Jude verse 14 prophesied about it. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied this saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Revelations 19 verse 11 through 14 says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness does he judge and he makes war. His eyes were a flame of fire. Upon his head were many crowns. And there was a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, you and I, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white and clean. We're already robed in our robes of righteousness. And out of his mouth goeth the two-edged sword that he should smite the nation and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress the, and the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God. And he on his vesture a dip, uh, his, and on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords. Now this is a wonderful thing. In our text we see that in the middle there will be universal righteousness. And you know what? I'm coming to judge with him. Watch this. Verse 2 says, he shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. With all the evil and ungodliness in today, that which is seen and that which is seen in tribulation, it'll all come to an end on that day, folks. 
folks. There is a reckoning day a coming. Can I have a amen? There's a day coming. You know why? Because prior to the, what's taking place, I want you to know that we'll rule and reign with him as priests and kings. We'll get into that in a minute. But we see also Christ will rule in righteousness and every high thing will come down and everything that's been exalted will be destroyed. There will no longer be spiritual weakness in high places of government. Why? Because verse 11 of our text says, yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. There will no longer be the exploiting of the poor. Aren't you tired of the poor being exploited for political purposes? I'm so sick of seeing that. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, and the poor also, and him that have no helper, he's going to deliver. There will no longer be unfair balances. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and shall save the souls of the needy, according to verse 13 of our text. There will no longer be wolves in sheep's clothing. There will no longer be liars, deceivers, manipulators, and abusers, according to verse 14 of our text. And he shall redeem their soul from deceit and from violence, and precious shall the blood be in his sight. There will be no more overreach of governments or dictators ruling over people. Revelations 2 and 27 says, and he shall rule the nations with a rod of iron as the vessels of potter shall they be broken into pieces. I got news for Putin. I got news for China. I got news for all of the dictators around this whole world. Boy, your day's coming to an end. You think you're highly exalted now and people fear and reverence you on that day. No one will fear you. No one will reverence you, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come down with a rod. He'll crush you into pieces. It's going to happen. All rule of evil is going to be put down. Remember what our text says in verse 11. All nations shall bow down before him and serve him. The nations will get on, the, on board with Christ's agenda. Amen. And the will of God will be the rule of the day. Can you imagine? God's will on earth being done. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you give praise for that? It's coming. Revelations 19 and 15 says, And out of his mouth goeth the sharp two-edged sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall tread the winepress alone and, and face the, the wrath and the fierceness of God. Christ is going to rule the kingdoms by his word, the two-edged sword. Remember what his word does according to 2 Timothy 3.16. And all scriptures given by inspiration of God, what's it good for? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those that don't want to hear to the word of God, they will on that day. Those that want to just reject the word and those that want to not really believe that, that, that the United States, for example, we believe we're a Christian nation. We believe we've been founded on biblical principles. We believe that we're here to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And let me tell you, we are not a, a, a nation that even though we are allowing different religions to come in, they have misinterpreted. This nation has always understood that the supreme being is Jesus Christ. And on that day, every nation will. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, according to Isaiah 32 and 1. Who's the princes? Who do you think the princes are that's going to rule in judgment? It's us, the redeemed, the bride, the church. Revelations 1, 6, and 7 says, And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father to be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Revelations 5 and 10 says, And he's made unto us, he's made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. When we come back down on that white horse, and we're going to be reigning and ruling as kings and priests and as judges over this earth. Listen to what he told his disciples in Matthew 19, verse 28. 
And Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration of life. What's regeneration? That's being brought to Calvary. Made new. The word regeneration means to be made new. Titus 3 and 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He said, Those of you that have followed me in the regeneration of life, those of you that's been born again, those that you've been saved, he said, When the Son of Man shall sit on his throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He gave them a prophetic word and said, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, you're going to come as judge and you're going to judge upon the earth. Hallelujah. Those that transgress the law, according to verse 4 of our text, says he shall break in pieces the oppressor. All presumptuous rule and authority and deities shall put, be put down when he reigns. I want to tell you, I don't know where he's going to put me. I don't know if he's going to make me the, the king or the priest of Dudley. I don't know. But I know one thing, I'm coming back to rule and to reign with him. Are you listening to me? There's a lot of things that I've had to go up against in 32 years of ministry. The injustices, the lies, the people not understanding your heart and the gossip and the slander and being put down and your family's mob and your family's persecuted. All of you that are believers have had that kind of nonsense. Well, I got news for all of those that's done that. Watch out, big boy, because I'm coming back and I'm going to rule and reign with my Christ. I'm going to sit up on a throne and I'm going to judge. I'm going to be a king or I'm going to be a priest under my God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, that's ought to be a marvelous thing. There are things that maybe necessarily we can't change now, but we'll be able to make the difference then and we'll be able to change it. Those that have been changed and exalted and and exalted themselves, those that have been in charge and exalted themselves will be removed and destroyed by Christ. Those false pretenders, those promoters of evils, he will cut down as Psalms 33 verse 1 and 2 says. Fret not thyself because of evildoers and be thou not envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and they shall wither as the green herb. Oh, hallelujah. Over and over and over and over in the scripture, it tells us two things throughout the book of Psalms. I could give you probably at least 70 to 80 scriptures that says it just in the book of Psalms alone. I've not counted them. I'm just estimating, but there's at least that many that says, and the meek and the righteous shall inherit the earth. And the meek and the righteous shall inherit the earth. And the meek and the righteous shall inherit the earth. Oh, one of these days, we're gonna, we are literally going to inherit the earth. Revelations 20 verse 1 through 3 says and I saw an angel. I like this because when Jesus sets his kingdom up on the earth during the millennial kingdom, righteousness will prevail on that day. There will be no unrighteousness. Can I have an amen? How do I know that? Revelations 20 verse 1 through 3. Oh Lord, help me. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a chain in his hand and laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil's Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And I, and I like that because he names all four things. Oh, there's some people that go wacky. They over-spiritualize everything. They'll tell you that Satan and the devil are not the same person. They'll tell you that the dragon and Satan is not the same person. Well, I got news for you. Whether there be all four of these, Satan, the devil, or, 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 or Satan, or the dragon, or the serpent, they'll say the serpent is a different animal. I want to tell you, according to this, he laid hold of the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and they bound him for a thousand years. I want to tell you that the serpent and the dragon and the devil and Satan are the same person. 
Amen. How do I know that? Because it cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should see the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, there, he must be loose for a short season. I like this more than all of it. I love what these scriptures reveal. First of all, the devil is going to be bound by chains. I want to tell you, whatever you sow, that's what you reap. Can I tell you, whatever you do to others, it'll come around and bite you back. Can I have an amen? And let me tell you something, there is a payday coming to the devil. I said, he's a loser. There's a payday coming to the devil. And I like what it also says, he's going to be cast into a bottomless pit. He's going to be sealed up for a thousand years. He's going to be imprisoned. He's going to find out how it feels to be imprisoned. Can I have an amen? But I like the next one. I love what the next one says, and he's going to be shut up. Now, when we hear this term, we think, what well, it means to be locked up. It means to be put away. It means to be, be put. No, the seal's already done that. When it says that he's going to be shut up, means means his mouth is going to be shut up. Ha! That old mouth, the devil who accuses and lies, there'll be no more deception. There'll be no more accusing. There'll be no more condemnation. There'll be no more false narratives. There'll be no more lies, no more mocking, no more tempting, no more being cursed, no more being put down, no more slander. There's not going to be that. He walketh around like now, like right now is a roaring lion. But the devil is going to have his roar taken away when the lion of the tribe of Judah comes to reign. Can I have an amen? He will no longer have influence or say about anything. Even though, he, even though there were one-third of the angels that fell from heaven, yet it was one angel, I like this, that had a chain in his hand and took him by the nap of the neck and cast him in the bottomless pit and put a seal upon him and he's bound for a thousand years. You know what it says in the book of Daniel? That Michael the archangel, how many knows Michael the archangel is one bad dude? He's the Chuck Norris of heaven. Amen? He's one bad dude. But did you know even Mark Angel come against the devil and the prince of Persia and warred over him for 21 days? That's how strong the devil is. That's mean. When somebody can put at bay Chuck Norris for 21 days, they warred and the heavenlies were not free and Michael, Archangel, had to call for help and yet they did prevail. But let me tell you on this day, God's got one angel reserved. You talking about the bad dude. He's the baddest of all bad. Because one angel is going to take this by, take him by the nap of the neck and pick him up and put him in the, in the bottomless pit and seal him up for a thousand. And if he needs any help, he's got more than 12 legions of angels still in heaven. More than two-thirds of heaven's angels did not fall, and he's still got them to this day to come to the rescue of the saints. Can I have an amen? Guess what Jesus Jesus is going to do. He's going to rule and reign in righteousness and peace. There will be a thousand years of peace because there will be a thousand years of righteousness. Did you know righteousness brings about peace? Sin, righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness brings about peace where there is true righteousness, there will be true peace. And you know what? When you have a lot of, among the body, you have a lot of uh, turmoil, now, I'm not talking about fighting the opposition of the devil, but when you got inner conflicts with saints, there's not righteousness. Wherever there's righteousness, there's peace. And if we don't have peace, we need to be finding out where sin lies at the door. If we have turmoil in our homes, in our marriages, we better find out where sin lies. Because wherever there's righteousness, there's peace. Wherever there's the rule of righteousness, there's peace among the brethren, there's unity. There's unity among husband and wife, 
son and son and son and father and daughter and mother. Can I have an amen? Because you know how I know that? Because without a shadow of a doubt, the scripture tells us in Romans 14 and 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus said, peace I leave unto you, not the world's peace given unto you, but the peace I give unto you, that your joy might be full. And what I'm speaking here today is what the Lord wanted me to speak on right here at the close of my sermon. There's coming a day that there's going to be universal peace. But God spoke to me and told me to tell the saints that he's wanting to give you a part of the millennial peace even right now. Even as I speak, God's going to bring peace to the house of God. Oh, hallelujah. Did you hear that? God just come along to tell me to tell this congregation we're in the fight of our life against the dark forces, but fret not. He said, "You because you've been because you have suffered for righteous' sake, I'm going to bring you peace." He said, "Don't get to warn among yourselves and fighting among yourself. Don't let yourself fall under pressure and make stupid decisions out of pressure. Don't let your mind wander in the time of hardship and trial and tribulation. Lift up your eyes and look up to the hills for where you cometh your help. Your help cometh from the Lord who made." the heavens and the earth. I'm here to tell you that God has told me, I've been praying over this body, and God said, I want to establish the palace of praise in peace. Peace like a river. Hallelujah. Peace like a river. The peace like old Peter had when they were fixing to cut his head off the next day. They were going to execute him. For righteous sake, he's chained up in the middle of a prison. You know what he does the night before his, uh, his execution? He sleeps. I want to tell you, if they're cutting my head off tomorrow morning, I'm going to be walking some miles. I'm going to be doing some praying. I'm going to be doing something, but Peter goes to sleep. And God wants us to just lay back and be cradled in the arms of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who is our Redeemer, our Savior. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither against the workers of iniquity, folks. He's got it all under control. Don't worry about the tempter. Let him roar all he wants to roar. But God's already pulled his teeth. His his roar is a lot bigger than his bite because I want to tell you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We're more than overcomers through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lift up yourselves and understand your redeemer lives oh hallelujah oh i gotta close i'm getting to i could preach on the end times for a month verse 8 says he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river into the ends of the earth i want to tell you jesus the king of king and lord of lords he'll reign and he'll have universal dominion amen there will be no one that'll be able to put him down it is true what the apostle paul said in Ephesians 1, 21, 22. And he had put, talking about Christ, he's put all things under his feet. And God has given him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church. For above all principalities and powers and might and dominions and every name that is named, not only in this world, but the world to come. I like that. I like to dissect scripture. I don't know if you noticed that, but I spend a lot of time just dissecting scripture. There's things I come up with, and it's just for me personally. I can't always put everything in my sermon. I already preached too long, and I don't want to hear an amen in this house. There's always one rebellious one. Amen. But you can't help it. You feed yourself, and you get excited about what you see. Amen. If I had a T-bone steak and I was eating it, you'd want me to invite you to the platter, wouldn't you? Then why is it don't you want me to don't want to be invited to the platter of the spiritual, uh, the spiritual steak, Amen. But I like that. Did you hear what it, I caught that? That he is above every name that is named, not only in this world, 
but even the world's to come. You know what that means? Our ever creating God will ever be creating and forever throughout eternity while we're with him. He's creating new worlds, new galaxies. It's a new mystery every time throughout eternity. There's a never end to his creation. And everything that he creates, he'll have dominion and power over it. And we'll rule and reign whatever he creates. Oh, won't that be a magnificent thing? I can't even imagine that. Earth, look how beautiful it is. And look at the galaxies. And the scientists and now, I had all them statistics wrote down. I kept it out of my notes on purpose because I knew I'd preach too long on it. But I want to tell you that the more, every, every, every so many years, they come up and say, we found another galaxy, we found another galaxy, we found another galaxy. They talk about the stars falling from heaven and all that stuff in Revelation. Don't worry about it, honey. He's got many more stars beyond this galaxy. Amen. First Corinthians 15, 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But then the writer of Hebrews says something in Hebrews 2 and 8 as he writes. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm going to do a better paraphrasing than reading the King James Version. He says, you say that you put all things under your feet and all things are subject to you. He says, you say that there's nothing on earth that's not under subjection to your name. But he says, we see not all things put under your feet as of yet. In other words, look at everything the devil's doing. Look at all the crime, the hate, the bigotry. Look at all of the misfortunes of people. Look at how young people suffer and die. And you say you have all things under your feet? That's why we're living in the dispensation of grace and we live by faith. But I love it. Verse seven says, in that day, the righteous will flourish and the abundance of peace will come so long as the moon endureth. He may not have all things right now while we, it, appears, it appears to be that he don't have them all under his, under his feet, but he's got them under his control. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who they called according to his purpose. But on that day, I want to tell you everything, everything, everything will be under his control at his command. He will take charge and rule with a rod of iron. I love after the great white throne, I mean after the millennial kingdom, after the thousand years, Satan's loose for his short season, gets an army, comes up against Christ, he destroys them. The great white throne takes place where hell is raised up. Everybody in hell that has denounced Jesus Christ, that's not lived for Jesus Christ, that has, been, that has been enemies of the cross, been enemies of the church, everybody in hell that's died since way back, everybody that's in hell to this day will be resurrected. It's a second resurrection. They will be raised, old Slewfoot, the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, the beast. <laughs> Guess what's going to happen on that day? Every knee shall bow. Satan's going to bow his knee. Antichrist is going to bow his knee. All kingdom leaders that have been mean and vicious and dictators that's killed and murdered and slandered and Hitler and all those kinds of people, their knee's going to bow. And everybody that has ever going to been born and been cast out, we've already bowed our knee. We've done bowed at Calvary. But on that day, those that refuse to bow, they're going to bow that day. And they're going to declare Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you stand with me this morning? Those of you that have been tempted and tried, why would you allow your temptation to get your emotions all upset and you fall prey to anger and wrath and malice and bitterness and unforgiveness and all of that nonsense and you join up with a team that's lost? I tell you what, if I was going to go and I was going to 
be a, a professional baseball player. And they said, you got to pick between those two, and we'll already tell you that one's going to win the World Series. Who do you think I'm going to go to? Amen? They're going to point at the Cardinals and say, Cardinals, you're go they're going to win the World Series. I'm going to be a Cardinal fan. And as much as I hate the Yankees, don't use the word Yankees in the palace of praise. You'll get the wrath of your pastor upon you. As much as I despise the Yankees, if they come up and said the Yankees is going to the World Series, I think I'd join the Yankees. Amen? And I'm here to tell you that the King of King and Lord of Lords, he's the winner. He was a winner over 2,000 years ago when he died and there was no guile found in his mouth. <laughs> he went to the way of the cross with no sin and he died as Redeemer and Savior. But I want to tell you when he died, he'd done something very important. He went down in the bowels of the earth and he went into hell itself and he felt the flames of hell and he walked up to the throne of the devil and said, give me the keys, big boy. I'm a winner. And he took the keys out of the devil's hands of death, hell, and the grave. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 50, oh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's the victory? There is no sting of death and there is no victory of the grave because Jesus has done conquered it all. He has the keys of both of them in his hands. And when we lay down in our sleep to sleep, the sleep of death, it will not even have a sting. It'll be just a transformation. It'll be just us going from this place to yonder. To be dead is to be literally reigning with Christ. To be absent from the body means that we're in the presence of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I went up here with a backache, but I don't feel it right now. I may afterwards. I'm here to tell you, God wants to set this church straight. If there's a bunch of nonsense that's not righteous, get it under the blood. You can't have peace in your home. You can't have peace. You got a bunch of drama all the time. You're not right with Christ. Come on, somebody help me preach. Always bickering, always fighting, always feuding, always drama, always somebody mad at somebody. It's always somebody else's fault. Blame put here, blame put there. Always got to look better in the eyes of the other one. Always in competition with the other one. Always having, always having these, uh, these uh, variances against each other. Husband against wife, wife against husband, son against daughter, daughter against mother, and brother against brother. Come on, stop this nonsense. There can't be no peace where there's no righteousness. We're here today to soon celebrate his first coming. What a wonderful coming it is, but there's a greater coming coming. He's coming again. Are you ready? With every eye closed and every head bowed, as we gather in this place today, are you really ready to meet the Lord? This is fixing to happen, folks. The rapture of the church is the next thing on the agenda of God's plan. If you don't believe me, just watch the news and watch what the world leaders are doing. Watch China, watch Russia, watch Israel, watch, watch uh, uh, over there in them foreign countries. Iran is a big player. Watch them. Look what's happening Look how they're beginning to come against the United States. Look how they're coming against Israel. Look what's taking place. And go back into the prophecies and read of what the predictions are about the alignment of those forces and what the next thing is on the agenda. Don't have time to preach on it all. But I'm here to tell you the rapture of the church could be any moment. But if you're not watching, if you're not ready, you're going to be left. You're going to be left just like that because he so comes as a thief in the night. He's coming quickly. Oh, hallelujah. The only ones that will see him on that first part will be the believers who are ready and watching. Are you ready this morning? 
if you're not ready, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to acknowledge it by raising your hand here this morning. If you're not ready, you know you're not ready. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now I'm going to ask you something of you. I want you to be a man. I want you to be true to your, true to your feeling of conviction right now. I want you to walk these aisles and come and you can get ready in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. All you got to do is come and bow your knee before the Lord and ask him to forgive you. If you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Would you come right now? I want to see some people saved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there any others? Oh, folks, it's a serious moment. Oh, it's such a serious moment. Those of you that raise your hand, be faithful to your conviction. I'm not going to come back and embarrass you. And it's not an embarrassing moment. All of us Christians have not had to not be ashamed of him and come and bow our knee and say we need to be saved. Thank you, sweetheart. The Lord has seen him on you. Oh, and what a wonderful thing's taking place right now. Can I have some prayer warriors, please? And is there any others that say, yes, I want to give my life to the Lord so I can celebrate this Christmas season in the true spirit of Christmas. In the true spirit of Christmas. I can worship him and magnify him and thankful for what he's done because I'm giving my life over to him. And would you, there were several hands that were raised that have not responded. I'm just going to give you a few more moments. Won't you let this be the best Christmas that you've ever had? Usually I preach on Christmas and the Lord would not allow me to leave this this week or I didn't feel like he would. And I just obeyed him to preach about his second coming. Would you come? Would you obey the voice of God this morning? Yes, please, obey the Lord. You were true to your conviction. You say, I'm not ready and I feel it and I know it. That's the first step to salvation is knowing you need to be saved. You can't be saved unless you know you need to be. And we're here to allow you.